Hello, and welcome to an extra horny episode of Hollywood Chop Shop. We are your Cinemechanics, Brett Mosier and Travis Santana. Today, we're reviewing part two of our Hill to Die on trilogy with 2013's Horns. We'll jump into five-point inspection with seven deadly plot lines, 666 donuts, why did it have to be snakes, Nightmare on Elm Street, and hey, Joe, what do you know? But before we do, let's check in on the shop. Jesus Christ, I don't know what's up with the customers today. Everyone's being such an asshole. I, I might have to cut out, man. They're, they're giving me a migraine. Maybe it's those shitty donuts we're serving in the lobby. Wait, what are you talking about? King's Bakery, Hollywood Chop Shop. It would be a match made in heaven. That's literally what you said before we made the deal. Well, that is before I knew his son was taking over the business. This? This is a pale comparison to his father's work. I mean, I don't think they're that bad, but seriously, look at my head. Do I have, like, an ingrown hair here? His father's always been a prep. But I... God, did I ever tell you about the time we were in high school together? I mean, no, you didn't, but come on, dude. The contract's for six months. We'll look at other sponsorships uh, afterwards, but, uh, dude, I'm telling you, like, can you see, like, a little bump right here on my forehead? Look, look. You know, I, I think we can get out of this contract. After we close up shop tonight, let's let's get a few cans of gas... One of the welding torches. Uh, did you know that powdered sugar is actually highly flammable? Whoa, wh what the hell are you talking about? I'm talking about burning the bakery to the ground. No bakery, no contract, no shitty donuts. All gone. Uh, dude, I, I think there's a, a horn growing out of my head. Here, man, grab a few cans, meet me around back, and let's review horns while we watch this bitch burn to the ground. Parrish might not have been convicted of his girlfriend's death, but that doesn't mean his town doesn't think he's the devil. As he tries to unravel the events that led to her untimely death, Ig begins to sprout horns and gain mysterious powers that lead him to discover more about the inhabitants of his small town than he really wanted to know. Now with his newfound powers, it's time for Ig to figure out what the hell really happened. Alright Travis, before we jump into Five Point, I would love to know your quick diagnostic of this film. Um, first, let me say, I am not super familiar with Joe Hill's work, so if there's any Joe Hill fans listening and uh, they're already in their feelings about how I kind of quasi-insulted him with the opening, <laughs> I, I haven't read any of his work, so I cannot confirm or deny whether he is better than his father, worse than his father, the same. Mm -hmm. um, this movie, though, uh, I was not a fan it, it feels to me, and, and maybe this will come up in the five points, it feels to me that the level of thought and care put into this movie stopped at, hey, it's Stephen King's kid, uh, so we can license that, and we can have Harry Potter, so we can mishmash and get the audiences of, of the King universe and the Potter universe, and not much else was put into the movie in terms of making a cohesive movie, uh, and, and frankly, a, a good movie. Uh, so yeah, I, mm. I won't tip my hand too much as far as the specifics. I did not like this movie. What about you? Um, so this is one of those, sometimes we get into this, I think this is a movie that they made R and they shouldn't have. Um, I think back of what really made this uh, an R-rated movie, and I'm like, there's definitely some language use. There's a titty. And then at the end when Meat Sack's head gets blown off. And I'm like, when the, he, his head gets blown off, I literally looked over and I, I was like, why did they do, like, there's no gore to that level until basically this far, almost the end of the movie. I'm like, they could have just avoided that. And I'm like, and to your point, I'm like, I thought they didn't leverage having Daniel Radcliffe pretty fresh off of Harry Potter because it's an R-rated movie. Why wouldn't you go for like a PG-13? Because I'm thinking like a skeleton key or a grudge or, you know, one of the movies like the Dark Water or whatever, Gothica, for God's sake, like, I know Gothica might have been rated R, but like some of those PG-13, like, you know, that brought in that crowd, I'm like, it just makes no sense to me why you would, if you're going to put Radcliffe in this role, because you're trying to to obviously take advantage of his name, why you would make this 
R-rated, especially because it didn't need to be. And like, all I could think of was like, oh, this has to be because they're dealing with the seven deadly sins. And like, how do you play with sin without being at R-rated? But I just, I didn't think that it needed to be there. And then, well, yeah. Uh, I mean, you're leaving out the, the rape at the end of the movie. I thought that was... I looked it up. It's true to the book, but that that felt like why they they wanted to make it rated R. But again, the same note that you made with the shotgun blast coming out of nowhere, it feels like the rape is completely unnecessary in this movie. And I know that's a weird thing to say. I mean, rape could be depicted on film and it be central to the plot line. And this it just felt like, hey, this happened in the book, so we have to do it in the movie, even though tonally it does not fit. Yeah, it could have just as been that he was scorned and killed her out of passion. Like, he didn't actually have to rape her. And I, to- I totally agree with that. And the only thing that I didn't think necessarily worked in the film was, like, I feel like in doing some research on how the book was, like, I feel like they tried to change this into a whodunit movie and it just didn't work like at a certain point they're like oh could it have been the brother maybe it was his Ig's father because fa he was jealous but wait a second so was lane like all these people like they were so jealous and loved Marin so much and at a certain point i'm like are they also trying to imply that maybe the father did it out of jealousy and i'm you know because she was gonna move to la and i'm like but at the same time they never really dedicate themselves to actually doing a, a good whodunit film it just again kind of lazily put that in there um, I will say before we jump into five points, I actually enjoyed the first two thirds of the movie and thought like, okay, there's some, you know, we'll get into this, like some cool cinematography um, going on. Um, I was invested a little bit into the story. I thought it was interesting what was going on. And I really wanted to know what was happening with the horns. Like it, it was an interesting concept and I'm just going to fucking do it. We're going to go and jump into five points here with why did it have to be snakes? The third act of this movie is just bonkers. <laughs> like it just takes and not in a, a good way. No, not in a good way. It just takes a huge tonal shift. Like it's basically and it it's a very clear hit when the third act hit happens because it is Daniel Radcliffe uh, Ig in the foundry trying to basically i guess grind his horns off and by smashing them against a brick wall the snakes show up and then all of a sudden it's like he's going to embrace his devil like powers and then boom the movie completely changes because the next scene is almost like like a slasher horror film where it's the waitress being killed by the snakes and i'm like a tonally this is way different it doesn't make any sense and secondly the way you're shooting this like there's no suspense here because she's the bad guy like there's no suspense of the snakes coming up to bite her because i don't feel bad about her being attacked because we know she's she's a liar in manipulating the situation so i'm like the whole way this is framed suddenly doesn't make sense anymore. And it's not like Ig is conflicted at all about doing it. He has fully mm. embraced the snakes and his power. So, like, to your point, there's no tension there because we don't care about Heather Graham, which, God why bless was Heather she Graham. In this movie? Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> why did she show up here? Um, Does she age? Does she age? I'm just asking. Dude, dude, you read my mind. I was like, she looks like she has stepped off the scene or the set of Boogie Nights to do this movie, and those are 15 years apart, at least. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's no conflict because Ig has fully embraced it, so it's not like we're seeing him struggle. There's some sort of inner conflict. He is fully prepared to be a demon at this point, so yeah, I'm just like, yeah, so what? The, the snakes are, are, are killing a... a, a a fame-hungry liar, great, Mm -hmm. I I don't care. Yeah, and then to go beyond that, I felt like the whole thing finding out Lee was the murderer wasn't earned. Like, there's nothing leading up to, like, other than the fact that, like, okay, we're, I guess we're going to go with the whole, like, oh, he had a crush on her when they were in middle school, too. I'm like, there's nothing to give you a glimpse that Lee could wind up being the murderer other than, like, okay, I guess it's going to be... And not only that, Lee going crazy, because I even made the point, like, well, I guess it's because of the horns. And my wife was watching when she goes, yeah, but he, like, Daniel Radcliffe wasn't around him with the horns when he killed her. I'm like, you're right. Like, it doesn't make sense why he just suddenly snaps and loses it in the rain when he's been composed this whole time. And then also... The father suddenly giving, you know, Ig a second chance, uh, Marin's father giving him a second chance so that they can resolve their thing isn't earned. Doesn't make any sense why, you know, he's seeing Ig all burned up and the whole thing like, I thought you being dead would make me feel better. I'm like, yeah, but you still have a chance to shoot him here. Like, there's no reason why all of a sudden you want to bury the hatchet and talk to him like that didn't feel earned at all. Um 
we never find out why the fuck he has horns or where they came from. The necklace thing doesn't make any fucking sense to me because I'm like, okay, I understand the necklace was Marin's way of protecting Ig, but then why did it stop Ig from manipulating Lee? Like, to me, that made no sense why the, the necklace was just imbued with power with whoever wore it. Yeah. Well, it, that's literally, I'm glad you said that because I was wondering if I missed some sort of setup as to why he had the horns, why he was, you know, blessed or cursed with this. I, I saw some imagery in their treehouse and that little lockbox. There looked to be some sort of satanic tarot card or something. Mm -hmm. But was there any explanation that I missed as to why he had this? I never saw any explanation, and I really didn't get any explanation as to when he grew angel wings that burned off of him. Like, what, I was just like, what the fuck is... Again, that's when... Again, third act, it just goes completely off the wall, where it's just like, we don't care about anything that happened before this. We've all of a sudden just decided, like, we're going... The best way I can describe it is the last season of Game of Thrones, where it's just like, oh, we're in the third act, and we need to go ahead and wrap this fucker up. <laughs> Let's go ahead and, and, and shove as much imagery and weird stuff into this, and then it'll be done. Because I'm like, suddenly he becomes full demon, and I'm like, why did he become full demon? Why didn't he just put the necklace back on? <laughs> well, let me ask you this. Not that this is in probably the top 20 nitpicks I have about this movie, but why is he... The movie blows its whole CGI budget on giving him the angel wings and then, you know, falling from heaven, which in this case is eight feet to the forest floor. But it doesn't seem like he's any sort of powerful at all. Like he's still getting beat up by a disabled lawyer mm -hmm. until he decides it's time to not get beat up anymore. Well, because that's what I thought. And this was is after the sheriff gets killed. I'm like, I was thinking after the sheriff gets his head blown off, my last dying thought you know, if I still had a head would be, hey, maybe you can do the, the demon transformation before I get fucking killed here. <laughs> yeah, but to, to go back like with what they were doing with Lee, I expected it. I didn't think it was going to be a necklace that protected him. I thought we were going to find out that Lee was also like a demon or that he made a deal with the devil or something like that. And then again, it would have come back to Lee why he was powerful at the end of the movie was like, oh, that was the deal he made with a, a crossroad demon or the devil or something like that. And that's why he's able to fight off Daniel Radcliffe as a, as a demon devil. And I'm like, no, he's just crazy. And for some reason that makes him crazy strong because he's just a, a psychopath lunatic that we didn't see until we had a flashback where he rapes and kills a girl. Yeah, this feels very much, I'm not sure when that novel horns was published, but it just felt like they, didn't do any real work to adapt the book because dude, every it feels like every little theme presented in this was probably something in the book but a book you can explore those things um and then um, that's Travis, kinda... in a movie you can explore those things they just chose not to <laughs> yeah and this might fit I, I don't know if we need to transition to uh a different five point but that was my my seven deadly plot lines yeah let's do it let's do seven it, deadly so ironically enough you know this movie one of the themes seems to be seven deadly sins i don't think that theme really carried through the movie do you feel like any theme carried through the movie no but here's it's whenever we get into it like I will admit I'm a sucker for seven deadly sins. Like, I feel like that's low hanging fruit. No one's ever done it as good as seven has, which is, but I still love, like, I will, I mean, I had a chop shop once. I think, um, what was, what was it? He got game. I ran up throwing the seven deadly sins into, I'm, I'm a sucker for that. My problem is when it's hard to figure out what the deadly sins are. Cause I have a running list where I was trying to figure out who was what. <laughs> and I'm like, I even have a couple blank ones where I'm like, I don't like, Okay, Olive was clearly gluttony. I got, uh, or whatever, like the girl who's eating the donuts. I'm like, that was low hang. Like that one was pretty easy. I'm like, is the Glenna. brother, Glenna, sorry. Is the, is the brother supposed to be envy or is he sloth because he knew something and didn't do anything? Well, maybe it's the cops or sloth. I'm like, no, the officers have to be lust. But I'm, <laughs> at the same time, I'm like, Lee is, is wrath, but is Lee wrath or envy or lust? I'm like, who the fuck? Like, what the fuck? Like, which, which deadly sin am I? Or are we trying to do the thing where it's like, it's just seven deadly sins. Everyone gets to be all of them. But, the, but then that doesn't make sense because, you know, Ig's comment to the father is like, you just have to choose which one you're willing to live with. And I'm like, okay, then it should have been way easier for me to figure out which of the sins each of these 
these characters is choosing to live with. And I, I had the dandest time trying to figure out who most of them were supposed to be. Yeah, and I mean, if the movie is just about the seven deadly sins and, and they fumble that, okay. But I, I just, as I was watching the movie, I made some quick notes about some plot lines. So we have... Uh, Marin's illness, which is concealed for the almost in the entire runtime, we find out at the end. Um, so, just I pred- I thought that's what was going to be the issue at the end. I mean, just because we watched so many movies, it's one of those where like, oh, they brought this up. This feels like this is going to be a predictable like, like. Well, thing. yeah, and when she's like, "Well, just love me for the rest of mine," I'm like, "Oh, yeah. are you terminally ill?" Mm-hmm. Um, but then we have. Her mom had the same illness and, you know, it it basically ruined her dad's life. And then we have the gay sheriff, the closeted gay sheriff storyline. Then we have uh, the best friend who turns out to be the killer slash rapist. And then, like you said, we have the brother. Why is the brother there as is more of just a red herring for the whodunit mystery? Um, You have the whole Daniel Radcliffe kind of being like the devil on everybody's shoulder, you know, mm-hmm. brings out the worst impulses in everyone. We have the seven deadly sins. You brought up Glenna. Glenna has a storyline that she apparently is just a town whore. She gets no other real arc at all. Like I, I thought there would be some sort of callback with Glenna so, sort of redeeming herself in some way. There's not. Um, but but so Travis, right she's, she's going to leave go the town and she's going to go do something with her life now. That throwaway line wasn't enough for you? I mean, we couldn't even at least pull a he got game and show her getting on the bus at some point, just riding on a bus, reflecting as, you know, Daniel Radcliffe turns into a demon. Yeah, I I totally agree. Like, it is just like very just like loosely like, I guess like we can wrap her up real quick. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's funny, like as a kid, she's given hand jobs to everybody because that's the only way that she can be accepted. But. Even as an adult, she's doing the same thing. She she comments to Ig, like, yeah, you wouldn't have fucked me unless you were blackout drunk. I'm like, that's literally the one note this character plays. It just feels bizarre. But she's always loved him. She only gave hand jobs to get his attention, right? I think, maybe. I don't know. Again, yeah, you know, we'll throw it at the wall. We'll make a, a passing comment. But yeah, this movie is just so overstuffed. I, it, it feels very Stephen King, but it feels... I guess maybe I'm shitting on Joe Hill in the intro because not necessarily Joe Hill's fault, but this felt like the shittiest of Stephen King adaptations where we're like, yeah, we don't really know what to do. So let's just shoot the book and try to fit it in two hours. Well, and that's where we kind of go into the, you know, hey, Joe, what do you know? Is like, I'm just wondering, you know, for anybody like we've talked about it. Joe Hill is the son of Stephen King, obviously. And we, we you know, we reviewed The Shining and talked about how that was Stephen King's least favorite adaptation because basically Stanley Kubrick just did his own thing. And I'm like, I'm just thinking, did did Joe Hill get Kubrick here? Is it a thing where like someone took his source material and just completely butchered it? And it's like, is this going to be his shining where hopefully in a illustrious career he has of, of adaptations to his stories? He's like, yeah, that was the one that I really hated. Like they took that from me and that's not even close to what I wrote. It, it almost feels like an anti shining though. Like, King had beef with Stanley Kubrick because he completely reworked his his novel. Uh, it feels like in this case, they brought in a director who was not willing to ruffle any of Joe Hill's feathers and just tried to shoot everything that Joe Hill wrote, much to the detriment of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think if Joe Hill looks back at this movie with any sort of regret, it would be, you know what, maybe I did need an auteur directing this who was willing to take some chances and edit what I wrote. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I could see that. It's, uh, I, th- I think that's the, again, the, the sad part with this movie is I think, excuse me, there were some interesting parts that I wish had been explored. Like, you know, it's the, there's nothing worse than wasted talent. Like, there was actually some cool things they could have done with this movie that just, I don't know if they tried to make it too vanilla and generic or, or tone it down, but I'm like, you either needed to modify it enough to where I, I still think it needed the PG-13 rating to, you know, get more audience in there or really embrace it and kind of like figure out what themes you wanted to, to focus on and then push those as far as you could. Yeah, 100%. I, I think you nailed it because there's nothing with the R rating that necessitates that it be here. And it just, it just feels so scattershot. I think 
you know, to bring up my my five point, the six, six, six donuts, you mentioned it. There are interesting moments in this movie where I kind of sat up and was intrigued about the way that it was going to go or the way I thought it might the donut scene, which is, I think, the first reveal of the horn's power when mm-hmm. she is just like talking about how that the donut makes her sick and then washes it down with some Pepsi and then, uh, you know, asks if she can eat another one. Like tonally, that was so bizarre and weird that I was like, OK, maybe this might be interesting. They play with that horn's motif a little bit. Uh, you know, they have the the doctor's office scene. Mm-hmm. Um you know, where they're taking the nitrous and he's fucking his nurse. But again, that just feels like a very brief segment of the movie. And then it doesn't play much of a role later. I also thought the whole reveal that people don't remember what they did under the influence <laughs> of the horns. Like that's literally just a throwaway line when he confronts Lee. He's like, oh, you don't remember anything that happened. And I'm like, <laughs> that's it. That's how we're going to explain this at, in the third act of the movie. It's also one of those where it's just like, oh, we can't, we don't understand how he could be walking around and people not freak out about these. So we'll, <laughs> we'll just, add uh, people just don't remember he has the horns. Like, that's, that's it. Like, okay. It's, there is, there is a certain amount of mysticism and like the magic of the horns that they just choose not to explain. And I don't know if that's one of those, like, we don't have a good explanation. So we're not going to try, like, it's almost like the looper situation where, you know, Bruce Willis is talking about, like, we can try and talk about time travel or we can just not talk about it and you can enjoy the movie situation where it's like, we can try and explain the horns and what's going on, but, like, it's probably going to get convoluted and not make any sense, so we're just not going to approach the situation at all. Yeah, and then they just do it lazily by a couple of thrown-in lines. Like, when he's at the doctor's office, they're like, you know, I remember that you have them, and then I look away and forget. And then, again, that that quick dropped line with Lee... I'm just like, I know if you're going to take every single bit from the book, I'm sure Joe Hill had a a more artful way to depict that. Uh, I'm assuming maybe just runtime editing, maybe something got cut out, but it's blinking and you miss it. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the the, the powers of the horn that I think they didn't explain that I needed because I was confused. So in doing some research with the book and all that, so apparently the horns can, he can only make people do something that they wanted to do, right? Is that explained in the movie? Again, I think it's a it's a very minimal the, like expositional line. Yeah, because I can't remember where they where it is blatantly expressed that like oh they have to want to do something for him to be able to control them because when he gets um, arrested by the two cops, I'm like why doesn't he just use his powers to stop them from arresting him? Like clearly we've established that he has a power to control people and force them to do things, but. He's not using it to get himself out of trouble here. And then it wasn't until I read the thing about the book. I'm like, oh, one of the powers is like he can only make people do something they already want to do. Yeah, that's where I brought up the devil on your shoulder. Like you have to have the idea organically. He's just going to encourage it. But again, Mm -hmm. I think that was a very brief line mentioned in one of the, the confrontations. So, yeah, if you're not paying attention to every single line of dialogue, you can easily miss that, which is a, a big problem. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Uh, was there anything else that you enjoyed about the movie? Uh, like I'm going to get into cinema, the, this kind of the cinematography with Nightmare on Elm Street, but was there was there anything else with Six 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 Donuts that like you you enjoyed? Um, I can't really point to anything specific, but again, it's it's like you said, there's a level of intrigue and mystery. Like I, I did, I was captivated by the horns and and what I thought they meant. But the fact that by the end of the movie, you just have no idea why he has them. Like, when, mm-hmm. again, I know you can get kind of caught in the weeds of, of telling the origin of some ancient evil. But I'm like, it it was a lot of setup. And by the end, I'm like, oh, this is just a generic whodunit movie. He just happens to have horns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. I, uh, I enjoyed the color palette of this movie. It was almost like a a refreshed 70s palette like the bold colors and stuff like that i feel like it was 70s colors but with i think a little bit more saturation than we than you would expect um so i i did enjoy the color palette uh daniel radcliffe's performance i was hit or miss with i couldn't tell if i thought it was good or if it was one of those like this is like i i think he's overdoing it or underdoing i his his performance was so hard to to kind of nail down no one else really stood out for me in, in terms of performance or anything like that. But uh, 
Yeah. The, the yeah only... Did you notice? Um, I mean, now I can say as far as his performance goes, I I probably have somewhat of a benefit because I've never seen a Harry Potter movie. So mm-hmm. I don't know his acting or, or range. Um, like you said, I thought he was fine at the beginning. I, I hated him. But as the movie wore on, I, I thought he did a good job. I did enjoy, just despite the fact that I haven't seen it, it felt like they had him in his, what is it called, Gryffindor? Is that his yes. Harry Potter class? It looked like he was wearing those <laughs> colors through most of the movie. Did you notice that? Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was a nice little wink. Yeah. Uh, but to, to that point, yeah, for an, like, the younger audience or, you know, I, I still don't know if the people that grew up with Harry Potter or watching Harry Potter movies are able to watch this movie. So it's a, kind of a weird nod. If you know that you're leaning into his Harry Potter, you know, fame, why, why is this R rated? Um, so I think that leaves us with our last point of inspection here, nightmare on Elm street. So the cin- cinematographer for this movie was a man by f- a name of Frederick Elms, who actually has a very interesting, uh background he actually did blue velvet which i thought was funny because we just did a (laughs) a lynch movie uh i enjoyed the cinematography of this and the more than anything i really loved it there was a lot of really fun transitions in this movie oh and to go back to six six donuts i did think the the soundtrack not the score but the soundtrack of the movie was was good i there were a couple times songs came up that I, i enjoyed hearing that but um the transitions in this movie I thought were top notch. Like even at the very beginning, that was almost the first thing that got my attention. Is like we did the whole them in the the woods and all that, and when it basically just pans down, and the next thing is him laying basically upside down on the floor where he's drunk. I'm like, this is pretty cool. And like they followed that. They did a good job of actually following those transitions a lot throughout the movie. Um, when you know, uh, in terms of musical transitions, when he's reflecting back on you know the time he spent with Marin in the treehouse and he played the I forget what the song is but they're playing the song and then in another flashback later he's in the treehouse he's actually in the treehouse and when they flash back to them being in the treehouse together it basically uses that song and transitions through the tree again I'm like okay that's a good callback again that's where I think it's interesting where they put enough thought into stuff like that and how some of these scenes broke out that it's just weird how loosey goosey they played with the actual story. Yeah, visually, I enjoy the movie. I mean, I am a sucker for a good, uh, you know, Northwest United States, Canada setting. Um, mm-hmm. the, the the way that the forest was shot in this, and I, I don't necessarily like the theme or or what they were trying to do with the magical treehouse, but the way it was shot, it, it felt it felt magical. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I did love that. I, again, narratively, it made little sense to me. Uh, I, in my research for the book, apparently there's some sort of time travel element where Ig is hearing, like older Ig is knocking on the treehouse while younger Ig and, and Marin are in it. So I'm glad they excise at least that portion of it. But um, yeah, everything in the forest with the treehouse, I thought that was beautifully shot and kind of gave that enchanted feeling that the movie was going for. Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. Uh, but aside from this, yeah, throwing his name out there and, again, talking about just the, uh, the cinema, there's a, a scene in the diner where I really liked the shot where it's the two of them talking for the first time. I did think it was funny that it was Eve's diner. Again, some of those... You know, I mean, we shake our head, like, but I, I enjoy that little stuff, like the background, like, okay, it's about the Seven Deadly Sins, like, it's going to be Eve's Diner and stuff like that. It's just, again, they didn't take it far enough, right? It's, they they did a lot in the background and kind of nods, but then used that as, like, an excuse to not actually deal with what was going on in the foreground of this story. Yeah, again, I thought that was stuff, the, the Eve's Diner, I thought that was... <laughs> great world building for a novel but you only have so because what was this movie like a little over two hours i believe yeah i think it was right at two hours you don't you don't have the kind of runtime to focus on that sort of stuff so when everything else is so short changed yeah those little background elements are nice but again why is lee just a psychopath that's been hiding in the shadows the whole time like it felt like a it felt like an episode of Law and Order, frankly, with a supernatural <laughs> element. Like well, it's it's just built to plant possible suspects in your mind that'll be resolved at the end by some quick wrap up. Yeah, and not to beat a dead horse, but 
it goes back to me saying this should be PG. This feels like a young adult story, right? It feel and it's let's make a, an R-rated young adult story. And I'm like, why are we making it like either make it an adult story, like I'm sure Joe Hill wrote it, or if you want to convert it into a young adult story, convert it into a young adult story. Like doing this weird middle ground made it not successful in either realm. Yeah, and and to your point, I have no idea how old the characters are supposed to be like I, I i guess we just whatever age daniel radcliffe was when he made this movie is the age of the characters but i got no clear indication of are they just fresh out of college or are they fresh out of high school um is is ig's brother is he 35 is he 28 i had no idea the age of anybody was there was there anything that i missed as far as establishing the age group of these friends i don't think so because it's funny i would have guessed that Ig and Marin were fresh out of high school, but then you realize that Lee and what Meat Sack or whatever the hell that kid's name was, like they're they have careers, so they have to be older than that. So yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to gauge where exactly their age was. Yeah, I mean Lee is a I mean he's a public defender, so I'm assuming he's a very early into his career lawyer, but shit, if you're an early career lawyer, that by default you're what, at least 24, 25? I, I would get you'd have to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that would probably be if you were a whiz kid. So, yeah, I again, it some of the themes feel very young adult, like, oh, you know, I've had a crush on you forever and I thought you had a crush on me and now you don't. So I'm going to kill you in a fit of rage. Not that there's unfortunately any age where you grow out of that sort of stuff. But again, that feels like a couple of 16 year olds. But yet, yeah, they're closer to 30 than they are teenagers. It. it very weird to me well yeah and it's the if you like you're saying if you want to do the whole oh i'm jealous like that's a high school into college but you're saying that you like had a thing for her in middle school and never found anybody else like lee never found anyone else through high school college being in the small town like he just held out for her like it just it doesn't make a whole lot of sense what's going on yeah, I, th I think you nailed it. They, it. It feels like a YA R-rated movie, which is an oxymoron. <laughs> okay, so if you're happy, I'm happy. Do you want to jump into some Chop Shop? Let's do some Choppy Chop. Travis, this week I uh, I had miniseries. You had comedy. You had comedy. Yeah, comedy. Where, who, who do you want to? Yeah, I want you to go first because I'm hoping that mine generates some discussion. Well, that's a smart move because uh, <laughs> I have next to nothing this week because tonally, <laughs> I mean, I laughed out loud at the donut scene. Uh, but this kind of played like a comedy for most of the runtime, I felt like. Um, a dark comedy, but a comedy nonetheless, right? Yeah. So I kind of have just a high level pitch. Uh, we can spend as much time or as little time as you want on it. It sounds like you've got a, a nice fleshed out idea. Um, but to make this a comedy, I'm going to go ahead and remove the the rape and the murder. I know that's that a, by, I that's, think... that's a shocker. Yeah, weird. Okay. Um, right. But I did want to keep the Lee, like, was it unrequited love uh, element in there? Going like a something and about it, Mary situation here. Yeah, th yeah, okay. a little bit like that. Um, and again, one of the problems I had with this movie, I couldn't nail down their ages. So in my story, um, they're going to be on the eve of college graduation. Like the, on the, the group of friends. What's that? On the eve? Ha, ha, ha. In case everybody didn't know, Brett is a, a father of uh, two girls, and it it shows in his comedy stylings. Uh, Listen, I was born into that, all right? I just, you know, the girls just made it mildly acceptable. You have completely fucking derailed me, Brett. What was right, a half-brain idea? Let's start from the beginning. Let's start from the beginning. Let's start from scratch, all right? 
Let's start from scratch. Let's take it from the top. I was born in the darkness. You yes. merely adopted it. <laughs> um, yeah, so they're going to be on the eve of... <laughs> God damn it. The eve of college graduation. And this group of friends, they're going to take a uh, like a vacation to kind of celebrate their their forthcoming adulthood and the fact that they might all go their separate ways. So the the two comedies I wanted to kind of bring into this is The Hangover okay. and The Breakfast Club. <laughs> okay. Um, so I thought this group could uh, go on a vacation and have some wild debauchery that they kind of forget about. Um, and the group will awake minus um, Marin and Lee. They'll be missing. And so... The movie is is them trying to find Marin and Lee and, and get back to the States, you know, hangover to they could be in Thailand. Mm -hmm. And this will give an opportunity to have some of the hijinks that uh, uh, the hangover does. But then if you have Marin and Lee separated, that's when you can kind of get into the breakfast club element where instead of, you know, brutally raping and murdering Marin, he can kind of just confess his feelings in that regard. Um, while the rest of the group searches for them in insert foreign country here. Um, I'm thinking so Canada, just over the border, right? Because they're that already that close. And how many well, comedies do you have? Yeah. This film was shot in Canada, Brett, so we would not hey? have to do much of a relocation. <laughs> um, so yeah, I I didn't want to get into actually writing comedy scenes. I just, the, the vibe that I would go for is part The Hangover, part The Breakfast Club with this same okay. cast. All right, so you're telling me it's it's a heartfelt comedy. It's a heartfelt comedy in a foreign place. With an edge. It's got that R-rated edge that we need. Okay, so it's it's a heartfelt comedy in a foreign place with an edge. Okay, with, okay. And we could have some sex in there. You know, the hangover's got, you know, some gratuitous titties. Uh, we could have a few of those. Not from not from our stars, but okay. from Tertiary. Sex so sells. Yeah, sex sells. Okay. It's so we a gotta... sexy comedy with heart. With a little bit of a mystery, because where is Marin and Lee? So it's a mystery with some heart, heart. with some R-rated comedy elements. Okay, to give it the edge. All right, in a foreign place. Got it. Okay, yeah. In a foreign place, but not too foreign. It's just Canada. We'll keep the American audience, but it'll feel a little bit different. How much is the player going to influence how we do these things now? Uh, just only every chop shop I ever do. <laughs> <laughs> For anybody who doesn't understand the little bit we did there, you definitely should watch at least the first 15 minutes of the player and you'll get it. <laughs> and and then listen to our review of the player. Yeah. Yeah. And then finish out the movie and then listen to the review. Um, no, I like that. That's some good vibes there, you know? Yeah, I'm looking I'm looking at maybe Julia Roberts for the Marin character. Might okay, be a little too old. I don't know. Yeah, well, for Lee, would Lee... Uh, no, Ig, I think Ig would be a good Bruce Willis. What do you think? Eh, he's a little edgy. I might I might have him for Lee. We might do okay. Costner All right. for, for Ig. But yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> All righty. I, uh... Can I ask yeah. a question before you go into yours? Uh-huh. You, you got miniseries, you said, right? Uh-huh. Did you do seven episodes named after the seven deadly sins? I don't think. I think it's only six episodes for six, six, six. Ah, well done. You kept with the theme, though. Okay. Yeah, yeah I'm excited to hear yours. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> I'm just interested to see what happens here. All right. Episode one. Horny. Ig wakes up one morning after a drunken night to find horns growing uh, from his head. Not sure what to do, he decides to head to his apartment that he's sharing with Glenna Nicholson. On the way, he thinks about his life, and we get a glimpse into his family dynamic. Ig is the second son of a renowned musician and a younger brother of rising star Terry Parrish. Ig gets to the apartment and examines the horns in the mirror and tries to figure out if he's hallucinating the whole thing. Glenna seems to notice the horns, but is unfazed by them, leading Ig to want to go to a local clinic to get them checked out. As he leaves the apartment and Glenna, he notices that she's strangely honest with him about uh, her desire to binge on a box of donuts. Her feelings about his unwanted presence and the fact that she performed oral sex on a mutual high school friend of theirs, Lee, what was his last? We'll just say Lee. Lee the previous night. Ig leaves for the clinic, not sure what to make of the situation. End episode one. 
Episode 2, Dr. Doctor. As Ig goes to the medical clinic to deal with the growth of his horns, he discovers that people have a sudden, compulsive, and blatantly, exp uh, and blatantly express their ugliest and most animalistic urges, desires, and opinions to him. And that no one um, seems to remember after they meet him. Moreover, uh, when he makes skin-to-skin -skin contact with individuals, he immediately learns their darkest secrets. Ig also realizes that he can make people give in to their ugly urges, but he can make them do, but he cannot make them do things that they don't already want to do. Beyond that, no one remembers his influence, conversations, or the horns protruding from his head. Going home after the clinic, uh, yeah, he's at the clinic and they they can't do anything. Going home, he discovers that his parents detest him and believe that he did kill Marin. He then meets his brother Terry, who seems to be the only member of the parish family who doesn't think he's guilty. Under the influence of the, the horn's power, Terry confesses that he knows who killed Marin, Ig's childhood friend, Lee. So we get to that pretty quickly so that we can kind of dive into it, more of their relationship. Not a whodunit. Episode 3, Cherry Bomb. This is going to be a flashback episode. We go into the high school past of Ig and Terry, uh, of Ig and Terry, Marin, and Lee, uh, and uh, we see basically the, the, the lumberyard, uh, where the are the foundry, where Lee rides the 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 shopping cart down, naked. We get into the the usage of the cherry bomb, um, and when he falls in, and Lee basically saves him. Right. Um, unfortunately, this means that Ig always feels like he has a debt to Lee. Um, so that kind of has a little bit of a tension between their relationship. Um, later in the episode, we're going to go to the church where Ig becomes infatuated with Marin as she's kind of flirting with him with the cross like she does in the movie. Um, she'll do the same thing where she leaves the cross behind and Ig winds up picking or uh, collecting it. He asks Lee to help him fix it. That's where Lee and is going to tell Ig that he kind of has feelings for Marin as well. Um, but ultimately they still trade the necklace for the cherry bomb, right? Um, Lee, or sorry, Ig winds up giving the necklace to Marin, and they become a couple. Um, Lee winds up using the cherry bomb, but it doesn't blow off his fingers. It actually enters his eye instead. So he winds up having kind of like this weird, like, villain thing. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, Brett, I too read the Wikipedia article <laughs> for, this, for this book. <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and finish it out. But yes, uh, you, ruined, you ruined my big reveal at the end. Um, ultimately, I just took and kind of modified the synopsis of the actual book of this, this no of shit. this movie because I thought the book sounded way more interesting and the themes that they decided to cut out. So that was the discussion I wanted to get to at the end, um, which kind of led into, again, the five point with, you know, did Joe Hill kind of get Kubricked on this one? Because there's a lot in the book that makes a lot more sense that they just cut out of the movie. Um, so we'll go into episode four, Revelations. The night of Marin's murder is partially revealed, uh, specifically the drunken argument between her and Ig at the restaurant. Marin explains that Ig, who is about to go to England for six months for a job, should openly pursue other women uh, in order to gain some romantic experience. Ig is infuriated, thinking that she's wishing... Huh? Do you think that the only reason Daniel Radcliffe got casted in this movie is because of the England thing in the book, that he was going to England? Do you think that's what inspired them to cast him? I would be interested if... Daniel Radcliffe picked this role because he was trying to separate himself from kid roles. I think he yeah. saw the R and that's why he, I think he might, maybe that's why they chose him. Here's the thing. I think Daniel Radcliffe probably wanted this and the studio was like, Daniel Radcliffe would sign, we can put his name on the poster. Well, here's the thing. The, the reason I bring it up is I thought it was weird that in the book, it's a plot that he's going to England why not just have Radcliffe play like a kid from England who is going back to England after high school? That way you don't have to worry about his accent. I, I, I derailed you completely. But the, since you brought up the England connection, I thought it was weird that they didn't try to just do that. Well, the actress was also English. She actually plays. Uh, she's in Ted Lasso. She also has an English accent. So both of them are English. I thought them changing it from him going to England to her going to L.A. was weird. I didn't understand why... Because I thought it would, would have made way more sense for Lee's character to think that she was staying behind for him when Ig was going off than, oh, you broke up with Ig so that we could have a couple months together. Like, it didn't make any sense to me whatsoever that that was his, his train of thought. 
with what well, they, and how they changed her the train of thought is hey i'm i'm dying of a terminal illness let me move to the most expensive city in the country that also i was just like what the fuck this doesn't make any sense <laughs> yeah like, uh, i'll just go to la and die now sorry go ahead brett yeah. my, my apologies hey fear and leaving las vegas right or oh that's las vegas that doesn't even count so yeah Los, los whatever los vegas uh and so um Permanently in the relationship, suspecting that she might be cheating on him, he drives away from the restaurant, leaving her in the rain. In the present day, Ig goes to confront Lee, uh, but for some reason, he's unable to manipulate Lee with the horns. He also can't attack Lee um, because he works for a congressperson. That's the whole thing. I forgot to cut out of this when I was editing this down. Um, Ig drives back to the woods of the foundry, notices that snakes have started congregating around him. He drives back to uh, he and Glenn's apartment where he is attacked by Eric, uh, and narrowly escapes. Returning to his parents' home, Ig touches Terry's wrist and suddenly sees, from Terry's perspective, the events of the night of Marin's murder. Terry is riding in Lee's car when they pick up Marin, and it, but is drunk and high and passes out while actually while the actual murder takes place. Again, weird change from the book to the movie. Um, later, Lee convinces Terry to keep quiet. Don't understand how they really make that happen because Terry is his brother. Why would you choose Lee over your brother? Uh, Ig returns to the foundry where he finds affinity with fire and talks with snakes. The following morning, Ig is attacked by Lee. During the altercation, the two touch, and Ig is able to see how Lee murdered Marin. Ig realizes that Lee is wearing Marin's cross and tears it off of him, leaving Lee exposed to the horn's influence. Lee viciously beats Ig and tosses him into Ig's car before lighting it on fire. While the fire engulfs, Ig is uh, in there... Ig has a flashback with Marin regarding the time she and Ig visited a mysterious treehouse in the woods filled with religious paraphernalia where they have sex. Uh, they're never able to relocate to the tree and begin to believe that they both imagined it, dubbing it the treehouse of the mind. The episode ends with Ig exiting the burning car completely healed by the flames. Another thing they decided to change for the movie, which didn't make sense, like that would have made way more sense if the flames healed Ig than burning him up and the cross healing him. Dude, that's exactly what I thought. When the car gets set on fire, I'm like, oh, well, he's either Satan or a demon. The fire is just going to heal him. No, it just turns him into a monstrosity. (laughs) Yeah, burns them all up. Uh, So episode five, The Fire Within. Lee's adult life uh, and his pursuit of Marin are explored. We open the episode with Lee caring for his mother who has dementia. Lee uses it as an opportunity to torture her while pretending to be a caring son whenever anyone visits. Lee uses her sickness and her eventual death as a vehicle to become close with Marin. He falsely assumes that Marin is interested in him, building a narrative of the two of them together in his head. Ultimately, Lee realizes Marin was never interested in him, which leads to his decision to rape and kill her. Again, we're planting seeds as to Lee being kind of a fucking crazy person. Even if we already know he killed Lee or killed Marin, we're at least now showing evidence that like in his past, he was always kind of a little fucking nuts, right? As opposed to what we got in the movie where he just kind of snaps. Um, flashback to a current time. Ig is leaving the burning car, notices Marin's cross, grabbing it um, as he finds a place to hide from the incoming sirens. A group soon amasses around the remains of his car, with Marin's father being there. Dale, Marin's father, gives Ig a ride to the Williams house, where the two discuss the conflicts and the death of Marin's mother from be- breast cancer, along with Ig and Marin, uh, long before Ig and Marin ever met. So in the book, it's actually her sister. I don't know if her mom ever comes up. I actually didn't mind it being the mom instead of the sister dying from breast cancer. The only thing that I think makes sense is like the sister died young, would have had to have died young from breast cancer. So it makes more sense why Marin would think she wasn't going to make it further in life than than what she would. Um, while at the house, Ig has a strange impulse to go to the Williams attic, having a vision of the treehouse they found in the woods. In the attic, Ig finds a group of papers and a mammogram that reveals that Marin too had breast cancer. The papers describe her feelings about knowing she will die from breast cancer. She encourages him to find other another romantic partner. Having watched the toll the cancer and the chemo took on her mother, Marin decided she didn't want to live that life. But she knew that if she stayed with Ig, she uh, he would find out, and she would have um, and uh, had the cancer, and that she would wind up taking chemo anyway for him. She decided to break up with him and let uh, and die on her own to save him the pain. Episode six: Life after death. Ig reunites with Glenna at the apartment, whom he convinces to lead a more fulfilling life. And when she um, accidentally leaves her cell phone, Ig uses it to text Lee and persuade him to drive to the foundry, where Ig hopes to ambush and kill them. 
Terry unexpectedly arrives at the foundry, though Ig begs him to flee. Lee's car arrives, with both Lee and Eric exiting the vehicle armed with guns. Ig and Eric struggle for a time before Lee shoots and kills Eric, hoping that it will look as though Ig and Eric killed each other without Lee's involvement. Lee then beats Ig with the empty shotgun. Ig finally slams his horns into Lee's body. He then telepathically convinces a snake to slide down Lee's throat. Um, I definitely thought in the movie that the snake was going to go in and out of more holes when it happens. Like I was like, oh, it's definitely going to crawl into his stomach hole. And Kate's like, why do you think that? I'm like, because he has a giant snake-sized hole in his stomach. Like, I didn't think it was going to go all the way through and then back up through his mouth. I just thought, like, he was going to be like a, a knot of a bunch of snakes. I, I um, thought it was going to go in his mouth and come out with his ass. <laughs> I mean, might as well use the art rating. <laughs> yeah, well, then why not go up his ass and then come out his mouth? Ooh, erotic. <laughs> Uh, as Terry goes uh, to call for an emergency services, he is bitten by a venomous snake that Ig placed there to attack Lee. D uh, de desperately, Ig crawls over to a gasoline canister, hoping that he can light himself on fire quickly enough to restore himself and get Terry to a hospital. As he prepares to light the fire, Ig begins to remember a flashback the night he was um, the night he was drunk before the opening of the show. In the drunken state. He found the old treehouse. Angry at Marin's death, he climbed into it and set it on fire. As the treehouse begins to burn, Ig looks over at a passage carved into the wall that reads, Take what you want while you're here. Get what you need when you leave. In his mind, Ig thinks he needs to release the devil in him to kill the person who murdered Marin. He starts to feel a tinge in his temples as he jumps out of the treehouse. Back in the present time, Ig is restored by the flames and tells Terry that he needs to lie about what happened. Eric and Lee are both dead and everyone needs to believe Ig died too. Ig retreats back into the woods around the foundry where he goes to the tree that once held the treehouse. The treehouse itself has reappeared. Ig decides to climb back into it one last time when the tree combusts into flames around him. As he enters the treehouse, he is engulfed in flames. When he awakens, he finds a wedding party with Marin waiting for him. So, there's a few little things I changed, um, but for the most part, this is almost a word-for-word -word synopsis pulled off of Wikipedia of the book. The discussion I wanted to have after it was like, the book is way more interesting. And there's a lot of like, they tone down the whole magic of the treehouse, which is a major part of this book. Like all they do is essentially they put the treehouse exists. The whole thing with the, him find like the key I thought was weird that his dad or Marin's dad's like, I think she wanted you to have this key. Like I was looking around the house and found this key. I'm like that. Why is this how this happens here? And then he goes to the treehouse to find like uh, so much of it just doesn't make sense. Like you were saying, they just basically kind of <laughs> cherry picked all of the like high level themes out of the book, but then didn't do anything to sew them together. So it's if you read the book, you get like, oh, I understand why the treehouse is important, but like didn't actually tell the audience of the movie why the treehouse was important. Other than that was just a place they hung out, you know? Yeah, 100 percent. It, it's bizarre because I was more compelled by reading the wiki synopsis of the book than I was watching the movie. Um, so, yeah, it, it's just bizarre to me what they excised and what they kept and even the stuff they kept, they don't have the runtime to expound upon any of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because the Terry knows, like, big changes are Terry and Lee were in the car together when she gets murdered. So Terry knows. They don't wait until the, you know, basically third act to let you know that Lee was the killer. You find out pretty early on in the book that Lee did it. And then it's, it's, it's Ig figuring out how he wants to approach and take care of that. We get more background as to Lee actually is kind of a psychopath. Like, there's even stuff I cut out of this synopsis just for the purpose of our show not having it run too long. Because there's a whole thing about, yeah, he gets stabbed in the head with a pitchfork, which makes him go, like, crazy when he's younger. There's a whole, like you were saying, a time travel thing with the a mystic time travel with the, with the treehouse where basically current or past Ig is... <laughs> visited by current time ig you know with trying to get into the treehouse like there's there's a lot of other weird you know stephen king-esque stuff that happens in it that that you know i, I cut out but even that point like they've made plenty of stephen king movies like you don't have to cut out a lot of that mysticism can i 
can I go ahead and, and break up our normal flow? Because my time capsule is just going to fit perfectly right here. Yeah. And I want to we'll, mention it. Yeah, we'll go ahead and do time capsule first and then, you know, flow into to Blue Book and Tagline. Have you seen or read The Dead Zone by Stephen King? I have. I've heard of it. I know of it. But no, I have not seen or read any of it. The d- the reason I, I really dislike this movie is because a better version of it already exists. It's called The Dead Zone, starring Christopher Walken. Yeah. Briefly, the plot of The Dead Zone is Christopher Walken's character uh, has some sort of injury. It's a head injury. And after the head injury, if he touches someone, he can see the bad things they've done in life and the bad things that they will do in life. Uh, And he touches uh, Martin Sheen's character and realizes that he'll go on to become the president of the United States. Right now, he's just a senator, which in the Joe Hill book, didn't you say that Mm, Lee is a senator? Yeah. Yeah. He works for a senator. Um, So his whole goal is to stop Martin Sheen from basically destroying the world as president. And that movie is basically just about two men's journey Mm -hmm. uh, and how they're interconnected. That's what the best version of this movie is and to me i'm just like your dad already did this and he did a better version i it's weird to me how much this movie echoes the dead zone well it's weird how much of this movie to me makes me think of brick and like brick is like a better non-mystical version of this movie so it's like you know yeah that's if this is brick and the dead zone had a baby it's this movie (laughs) It had a dumpster baby. <laughs> yeah, it, it takes take all the worst elements of each movie and and put it in here, and that's what you got. Yeah, uh, but yeah, no, that's that's inch. I have not seen the Dead Zone, but you know, I I think Horns got awards. The actual book got awards, and like I would imagine it was probably well written. Um, it's just it does not it was not a good translation from from book to to movie, and that's my question. Is like. Did Joe Hill have any part in the screenplay? Does he just not know how to whittle this down or figure out like, okay, if I'm going to make a, a movie, what is the important parts to, to keep in this? Because it just doesn't. Reading the synopsis of the book, they just take such high level, high level stuff, you know, and, and then kind of they take the high level stuff and then bastardize it down to a point where it's just like, it's not, it's not good. Yeah, I think ultimately... I'm glad that you got miniseries because that would be the preferred medium. If you're trying Mm. to tell a story this dense, uh, rather than just skimming over things and giving, you know, lip service to a lot of the themes, it would help from a longer runtime, you know, of it being six episodes. Mm. Absolutely. So yeah, and uh, in the dead zone, one one more thing, much like in the book, it describes Lee's childhood. It kind of shows all the kind of maniacal things he did, again, setting him up to be a psychopath in the dead zone. That's what Christopher Walken's character sees. Like we we kind of follow the Martin Sheen character as a kid and we see him like torturing animals, etc. So, again, eerie how much those two books are similar. Uh, the dead zone was directed by David Cronenberg, uh, who is is much superior to the the french journeyman director that we have in horns uh i will make a, a side note there there's a funny snl skit of christopher walken like he touches people and he can see like in like obscure things into their future like i didn't realize it was a joke off of the dead zone where like it's like they touch him, it's like you're going to eat cold soup later today and it's just like oh okay like it's just really stupid stupid shit that he can see into the future but uh yeah i i'm actually very interested to to see the dead zone now and see how it stacks up yeah i I recommend spoiler but uh let's go ahead ice it's gonna break again you don't you don't get that but that's my christopher walken from the dead zone sorry go ahead All right, let's do uh, let's do Blue Book. So, Travis, I'm gonna give you what I found was the sticker price of this movie, and then I want you to tell me what you think it made U.S. and what you think it made worldwide. All right. So, according to my research, this movie cost three point nine million dollars. That was its cost. How much do you think it made? U.S. 
Uh, I want to say, first of all, I'm impressed for a three point. It, this movie did not feel cheap by any means. So kudos. They got the most out of the budget. I, I will give the movie that. Um, like you've already discussed, it would have been smarter to make a PG-13. I don't think it would have been a, a big smash oh. hit. I'll say. Twelve point eight million. So here's the thing. I think I got that number wrong so i completely fucked up this segment and i apologize um wait it didn't cost 3.9 million no it did not cost i can't i uh i I misread where i got my number i can't find how much this movie actually cost really it's not on the wiki Mm -mm. uh the number i gave you and this is again gonna mess it up was the worldwide gross the worldwide gross was $3.9 million? Yeah, according to Wiki, Ooh. it was. Uh, yes, gross worldwide was $3.9 mil. Gross U.S. was 173000 Christ. So I can't believe those numbers are right unless, like, again, you're... Well, unless, I mean, it goes into what we said. Like, you, you tried to use Daniel Radcliffe and put him in an R-rated movie. Like... Who's going to be able to go see that? Yeah, no, I want I, to. I was just trying to find a budget, but I cannot find one either. Uh, yeah, I'm shocked that it was that unsuccessful. Um, but yeah, I, I guess maybe Joe Hill just wasn't the draw that his father was. I don't know how many people would know that Joe Hill was Stephen King's, which I assume that's why he changed, like he has a pen name, but... Yeah, that's yeah. uh god damn, that's a dramatic failure. Yeah, I think again, try I'm not sure how good those those numbers are. It was not successful. That's that's the you know <laughs> the end of the day, that's what we can say. So let's let's just skip right into tag and title. <laughs> <laughs> So, Travis, I'm going to give you three taglines. One tagline is an official tagline for this movie. One tagline is for a movie I found adjacent, and one is a tagline that I created myself. What I need you to do is tell me the official tagline for 2013's Horns. Are you ready? Yes, sir. All righty. Love hurts like hell. Sin is in. Don't trust a soul. I'm going to say sin is in is your creation. Uh, okay. Because again, I, that was my favorite of the trio. Um, what The first one was what? Love hurts like hell. Love hurts like hell. I'll say that's the official tagline. Okay. And what was the third one? Don't trust a trust soul. Us. I'm going to say that's adjacent. Um, I'm going to guess... That's from Drag Me to Hell. All right. You got all of them correct, but you did not get the adjacent. You did not get... So I did not hit the lo- money ball. You d- yeah, you didn't get the money ball. So Sin is in. You're right. I created that. Love Hurts Like Hell is the main... I have other taglines for this movie. It is the main tagline for this movie. Don't Trust a Soul was from 1998's Fallen, starring Denzel Washington oh. and John Goodman. Time is on my side. Another yes, another Rolling is. Stones. Yeah, love that movie. <laughs> so the uh, the other taglines for this movie, I actually thought this this one had some decent ones. Um, we all have our demons, angel or demon. He will bring out the devil in you, and she was his beauty. Now she's his curse. I was like, in terms of some of the taglines we've heard on the show, I was like, that's they actually had a pretty good collection here. Yeah, I like the he'll bring out the what the devil in you. The devil in you. Yep. Yeah, I like that, you know, the little devil on the shoulder motif. I like that one. Uh with that, I think it's time for us to do final assessments here. Travis, go ahead and give us your your final days. Is it worth seeing, owning, watching clips on YouTube, who knows. What what are your final takes on the movie? Uh to me this is a complete pass. I I think at the root of the movie and and maybe it's a fantastic book. I think the subject material is very interesting. I just, I think it's been done a lot better. Uh, Clearly 
like I said, the dead zone. Uh, so if, if you're going to watch something like this, if you're even remotely intrigued by it, go see a, a, a better work. I, I can't speak for whether the novel is better than, than Joe Hill's effort here, but the movie adaptation certainly is. Um, I'd be curious to know. I would love if a listener has any feedback on Joe Hill. I would love to know, did he grow as a writer? Because it, it really feels at least surface level like he is just completely aping his father. Um, so, yeah, I, I would skip this one. If you're interested in, in the plot, go watch The Dead Zone. What about you? Yeah, I would say this is a pass for me as well. Uh, I just I think there was a lot. It is very mismanaged. Uh, there were some interesting themes, you know, imagery-wise. I, I thought there was some cool stuff and transitions that happened in the movie. I just, it never gets to a part where I think the movie is worth. Like, there's nothing particularly redeeming or interesting that it's like, okay, listen, it's not a great movie, but like the second act is amazing, or like it's really worth it because there's, you know, you see this one monologue from Daniel Radcliffe or something like that where he's talking about the love of it. Like, there's nothing in the movie to me that I'm like, no, you should go see. Like, even the special effects aren't particularly like amazing i'm not saying they're bad it's just there's nothing there's so much media and content out there it's hard for me to recommend going and watching this movie over tons of other material out there so yeah that would be it, it, you're i don't think you'll hate yourself for watching it but it's it's also one of those like when it's done you you don't really feel a whole lot yeah i think We've we've reviewed a lot of movies that we kind of ultimately had negative feelings for, but they were so ridiculous that it was still something you want to watch. This movie is kind of the worst kind of movie because it's it tries to do much too it tries to do too much, really doesn't accomplish anything, but it's never so bad it's fun. Um, so it's it's like a perfectly mediocre movie that suffers from tonal whiplash. Um, so yeah, it, it it's not even so bad, it's good. Yep. So, with that, I think that concludes our episode. Uh, next week, I think we conclude our Hill to Die on trilogy with um, Walter Hill, our director. So, you know, uh, just to recap, our first movie was a, an actor, Jonah Hill, was super bad. Second one was a writer, Joe Hill, with horns. And our third one is the director, which are using Walter Hill's classic 48 Hours, starring, what is it, Eddie Murphy Nick and, Nolte. and Nick Nolte. So that should be a fun ride. But uh, And then, of course, we'll have a wrap-up after that. So hopefully we'll see you back next week. And uh, Travis, any final words? My stomach hurts, Brett. Can I eat the rest of these donuts? Yeah. I mean, yeah, why, I don't know, why are you asking me? Ig Parish might. Ooh. It's just I had to get the the first flub out just right away. That I way hate, I, like I, I hate flow. his name. Ig. I looked it up, and it's one of those things where I think Joe Hill was trying to be clever because I think what's his name? It's full name is like Igadiah or some weird shit like that. It's like it's some Catholic saint, and I'm like, you're just looking for bottom of the barrel weird named saints so that you can make this like a religious thing. I'm like, you could have. You could have gone with a thousand different... Hell, calling him Adam would have been more appropriate than calling him Ig. Like, it was just choosing a weird name to choose a weird name. But, all right. I digress. <laughs> I hate mommy. I want to burn her in bed with matches. I want to burn her up. All gone. <laughs>